All right, welcome back. Uh, another edition. Ryan, we got uh, we got a great episode today. We have a great episode, and today is also Offspring Release Day. So raise one out for the Offspring today, everybody. Listen to Let the Bad Times Roll. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be their advocate. Are you going to listen to that on our favorite service? Uh, because I know that I've been listening to '80s music all day, like '80s hairband type music, uh, Poison, Kiss. Uh, I got some David Bowie in there that I that I played for like a hot minute. Then I was like, I, I'm not a David Bowie fan, uh, but I did that all today during um, you know my, my day on Amazon Music. Well, of course, I'm going to do it on Amazon Music with The Offspring. Um, my my dad actually got me into The Offspring, and my dad is a big 80s metal fan. So it sounds like based on The Offspring and what you're listening to, we could create him an amazing playlist on, on that. Um, it's kind of sad that it had to happen this way, but last year, whenever uh, Eddie Van Halen passed away, were you one of those people that like went back into Van Halen's discography and just listen to it for like a week straight no um i did have panama on today but i when something like that happens i just like you know keep trucking along and, and listen to music you know maybe similar in that genre uh, but you know if, if it comes on the shuffle i'll listen yeah for sure well those who are out there in the world 80s music is never a bad is never a bad um Never a bad choice. Now, I've said this, and may, this might be better reserved for our Tuesday segment. Hot take, 80s music is the best music ever. As, as far as a continued whole of genres, 80s music is the best music. I'll stand by that. Anyone can fight me in the comments or wherever they want to to do that. But if you're going to listen to all of your favorite music, do it on Amazon Music. And when you sign up to listen to your 50 million plus songs on Amazon Music, do it via the link getamazonmusic.com backslash two Ryan Sports to sign up today. It's $7.99 a month, unlimited streaming, 50 million plus songs. Again, that link is getamazonmusic.com backslash two Ryan Sports to sign up, listen to some poison, listen to the offspring, listen to, I don't know, country artist Randy Travis. Listen to some Randy Travis too. Make a big shuffle on Amazon Music and get to listen in today. Yeah, um, everything that uh, you're looking for in your music needs, all on Amazon Music. But uh, Ryan, um, let's waste no time. Let's get right into the Hot Take 6. Yeah, well, I, oh, that's right. I guess Hot Take, that is today. I, I was saying Tuesday. I don't know why. Hot Take, 80s music is the best music ever. That's not my first one, but that's my, okay. that's in my, uh, that's in my Amazon, that's in my Amazon plug. I'd put 90s up there, 90s music. 90s is good. See, my argument is so many people would say, oh, what about the 2010s? And, and I agree, but there's also so much more music that's terrible. There wasn't as much music in the 80s, so I'm going by volume here. So, again, anybody that wants to fight about that, let's fight about it. But that's I'm, I'm, stick, I'm standing by that. 90s is really good, too, though. There's genre to genre. It's a, it's a pretty, good, pretty good decade. Yes. Oh, am I jumping in? Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. My yeah. day. Yeah. I wasn't prepared. I'm look, I'm sitting here looking at my notes, drinking my doctor, what's that called? Spretcher. And I wasn't even prepared. Okay, I'm ready. First hot take that's not 80s music. 
Trevor Lawrence. So in the past few days, we've seen the Trevor Lawrence comments that made the SI story about him not having a chip on his shoulder, not manufacturing any type of, I don't want to say hardship, but not manufacturing any resentment towards him. And a lot of people have concerns about this, that there's not a chip on his shoulder, that he doesn't play for anything. My hot take is, is I absolutely have no problem with this because if it's the truth, I would rather a player be truthful. Now I've seen a lot of people talking about, well, how would it be different if it was somebody else that said it for me personally, it wouldn't be because if you don't have a chip on your shoulder and and you don't play that way, fine. I would rather have a player be honest with me and say, you know what? I don't have a chip on my shoulder. I love this game. I come to play it every day because of my pride for it. Fine. I don't need a, a manufactured story of a chip on somebody's shoulder for every single player. And, and I feel like you hear it a lot in the draft, right? You hear it a lot when these guys get drafted, you know, he was a whatever star recruit made it up, started on the road, whoever it is. If that's the case and they don't have that chip on their shoulder, I would rather them admit it than sit back and pretend that it then pretend that it's there. Here's a hot take with within this. I would not be shocked if he's a bust because people keep talking about him as this can't miss prospect that he's the best prospect since Andrew Luck. But, you know, I really believe that sometimes you have to have shown something significant and yeah, he was fantastic at Clemson. I mean, he was out of this world, right? He won a championship as a freshman. I believe he won it. Um, he didn't win it this year. Did he? No. Did Clemson win this year? No. Alabama. Alabama. That, that's right. That's Ohio right. State. Um, but winning one national title as a freshman didn't repeat, you know, his sophomore year. That was LSU just beating them down right in the national title. But I don't know. I, I He strikes me as someone that could have a bus career. And I, I don't wish that on anyone. I, I want everyone to succeed, but the NFL is a business. And it's kind of, I don't know. They're neat. Right now, it's just all shorts and T-shirt. And anyone looks good in a pro day in shorts and T-shirt. But it seems like all the momentum is on his side. And it feels like because of where maybe not so much him, but it feels like he could be a system guy where he needs to be around the right people for his first two seasons and being around a coach that's never coached NFL football and a staff that's completely just built from college ranks. I think only the defensive coordinator in Jacksonville is going in with NFL experience. It's like, what can you really base that on? At least Andrew Luck was going in with a, a well-established guy in Chuck Pagano, right? A well-established guy in Bruce Arians, people that can train him. And Andrew Luck is one of the smartest guys. I mean, he set records on the Wonderlick, which take that it's what it's worth, but the Wonderlick is a hard test. for. And I just feel like this could set up as a failure, but who knows by the end of the season, they could be eight and eight and he could look mediocre and really just take off his second year. But it feels like this is not going to go as well as everyone thinks. I think of it in terms of like somebody like Joe Burrow, 
So when, when you talk about like the system and the guys around him, I, I agree with you and, and I understand that. But I think of a guy like Joe Burrow, when, when it comes to the, you know, the mock drafts and everybody talking about it, they're like, you give Joe Burrow more weapons or do you give him an offensive line? Well, it, it, it takes an entire village to raise a quarterback because it's not just you give him a running back and a receiver and he's good to go. You have to have an offensive line. It's a process to build it up. And Jacksonville doesn't have a, a superstar list of, of players that are in the skill positions. So it's, it's going to take some time, but I think Trevor Lawrence is a good place to start with that. So if you give him the right offensive line, if you give him the right weapons to proceed with, I think things will look up, but look, you have to understand again, this is not just, this is not just us saying, Hey, you're going to be a quarterback, come in here and you're going to be 1000% successful. There has to be a little bit of a help from those skill guys from the offensive line. And also, I think people forget, too, that you also have to have a good defense. Maybe not that it's that they forget it, but when, when you evaluate rookies and say, oh, you know, what, what about their skills? And the defense has to help, too, because if you have to continually play in games that are scoring 35, 40 points, that doesn't favor anybody. That's just slinging the ball all around, and that doesn't really mean much to me. So I'm interested to see how this goes with his first season, but also to your point, interested to see how it goes with a coaching staff that doesn't have an NFL experience. Uh, kind of looking at it like Cliff Kingsbury in in Arizona, and I realize that's different in certain in certain ways, but you know, there's there's some some similarities there as well. Cliff Kingsbury, though, he built his staff with NFL experience. He didn't build it with college experience. He, he brought some of his strength and conditioning guys from public, which makes sense. You, you typically the coaches, wherever they go, they bring their strength and condition conditioning guys. Cause they, they have a system that they like their guys to follow, but yes or no, it will be a train wreck in Jacksonville. The first season, I say, yes, I say two and 14, maybe three and 13. I would probably err on the three and 13 to four and 12 realm, to be honest. Yeah, we, I think we agree on that just because it's, it looks like it's setting up for one of the most colossal failures, if I'm being honest, since Steve Spurrier or Lou Holtz in the NFL. That could be it's going to be a lot of learning. Yeah. So we've talked about this before, but this is just unbelievable. And I'm very excited to talk about it in a weird way because it's maybe the hottest issue in sports right now. And it's not getting attention on ESPN. Maybe it's because it's not part of their programming. I don't know. And it's kind of getting talked about different places, but not really. There's a poll that came out today in Japan. 80% to 85% of Japan citizens in Tokyo believe the Olympics should be postponed as cases are rising, look, we're not doctors. We, we keep saying that over and over, but we're not. <laughs> but these, these posters on my wall are not doctoral degrees. No, no. And this comes on the heels of NBC dropping promo after promo today, because today is the under 100-day mark, basically, of where we're on the road to the Olympics. And it's, it is fascinating. And here's a, here's a quote from an article that I found. An official in Tokyo that does not want to be named says, 
as cases are rising in Tokyo, he believes that a vast majority, if not the entire Olympics, should be postponed or canceled altogether. And I just, what do you do, right? Because you have people getting vaccinated, you have all these complicated issues, but different international tories. And here's what makes the whole thing even more wild. Do you know what happened today for the Olympics? Canada and USA dropped their merch line, essentially, of their countries mm-hmm. of different sports, track, field, whatever, swimming, dropped a bunch of merch, USA swimming, Canada swimming, all this kind of stuff in preparation for the Olympics. What do you do if there is another cancellation? I I don't know where you go from here because you're year one of a postponement, okay. If you go into year two, do you do you stay with the Olympics? Do you just forget about it altogether and then just move on to Paris in 2024? I don't know where they go from here. When it really boils down to it in terms of sports, what what is it all about? Doing something I think you're passionate about and I would put the Olympics up there with football and that's counting college and NFL. I would put the Olympics up there as one of my favorite things to watch. And that's counting winter and summer. I know people like pick between one or the other, but I love both of them. I love the weird events. It's something I'm deeply like basically in quicksand for two, three weeks ingraining myself in watching sports. I have no idea what the rules are for. My, my answer was going to be money. And, and the reason yeah. that I say that is because, you know, I, I understand that athletes are passionate. You know, we, we both played sports in our lives at some point, and we love what we did. Certainly not professionally, small town high schools. But point is, is, you know, when you get to even the collegiate level and above that, sports is, is a lot about the money and the bottom line. So when, when you saw a pandemic happen last year, of course, one of the big issues was, well, there's going to be lost revenue. Of course, there's going to be lost revenue. You don't have fans in the stands, of course. But these teams are basically going back saying, how can we make up this lost revenue? Because you obviously have to be able to operate in a term where money is readily available. And that's why ticket sales are where they're, they're at. And even lowly teams that are operating at 25% can basically sell out their, sell out air quotes, their stadiums. But you also alluded to one of the other facts that it, that it comes to money too, especially considering the Olympics, is the merch line. These, these companies, Nike and all these other companies have money invested into this. There's going to be a push for this to happen regardless of how people feel about it. I mean, again, we're not doctors. I, with cases rising and the way that it all goes, you know, angles point to, hey, you should probably delay it or not do it. But there's also going to be a pushback with these people saying, look, we invested, I don't know, a billion dollars. I don't know how much these companies invest into it, but there's so much sponsorship and money that goes into it that people are not going to let this go by the wayside and not have a contingency plan to not have this because again, there's just too much money laid in the Olympics at this point, even with the postponement, I think they could probably deal with that under the circumstances but they are not going to let this be canceled. They are going to do this one way or the other based on the bottom line. What makes this seven tiered layer cake more complex than it already is, 
and I don't mean to laugh, but it's just, it has to be the most complicated thing in sports, right? Because you're dealing with a national, international, different countries. It's not NBA. It's not NFL. It's not Premier League. You're dealing with multiple, multiple countries and athletes and federations. I mean, there's swimming federation. There is track and field federations for each country. But here's what I want to ask you on this. You have stuff like in Tokyo right now where they're in the baseball season. They're allowing fans. You have Texas Rangers. They're going full capacity. You have UFC going full capacity for every event now. I, I wonder if they're looking, maybe not at UFC or Texas Rangers baseball, but I wonder if those officials in Tokyo are looking at the Tokyo baseball teams and they're like, oh, okay, wait a minute. They're allowing these fans, but what do we do here? Because do we just allow Japan? I mean, I am almost guaranteeing that I am, I would imagine there are plenty of people right now who have international flights booked to Tokyo and waiting on pins and needles, knowing if it happens. And here's the craziest part of all, Ryan, these facilities, they're built for the Olympics for two, three weeks. And then they're never used really hardly ever again. And I've been to Atlanta. I've seen Olympic facilities. They're incredible. The ones from the 96 games. But when I was there, they were basically touring facilities. Look at what happened here and look what happened here. And look, look at the Centennial Park. I, I don't I don't know. It, it has to be the most complicated thing. And this is not, not just I'll, I'll finish by saying this. This is also on the heels of NBC dropping two exclusive documentaries today about the Olympics. Michael Phelps, which I'm going to watch tonight because the Knicks are off. And uh, I forget a track athlete i forget his name right now but i, I mean they're preparing as if it's it's going to happen and tokyo is saying wait a minute we don't know so the facilities though this kind of goes back to my point though because i see it from the same angle money they've they've built all of these and i mean they're going to let them rot anyway i mean that's basically what what they do like you said you you have this beautiful facility that you build for the the biggest game in the world and then you're just like, nah, we'll turn it into a museum. Or there are other places that are just like, nah, we'll just let it fall apart. Why? But but that's the money that's wrapped up into this. And, and it's it's frustrating. But at the same time, that's just how the World Cup, the Olympics, that's how those things operate. They, they just do it that way and they just turn it loose. I, I want to see the Olympics happen. I want to see it happen safely. But it, it's really going to be an interesting, I would say, two months leading up to – two months gets us into June, but two months leading up to the month of July, waiting to see what the Olympics is going to look like whenever they kind of have to – they really have to say, look, this is what's going to happen. What's your favorite Olympic sport? Um, I kind of go by the athletes. So like, you know, Michael Phelps, whenever he was swimming, you're like, oh, I want to watch Michael Phelps because he's, it's a, it's a big deal. My favorite event though, and this, this might sound stupid because it's, it's so quick, hundred meter dash. That is the most uh, fascinating okay. event to just watch people for the, literally the 100 meters. Who's the fastest person in the world? Men's women's alike. It is, it is just fascinating for that, whatever, 10 seconds, if that, when it's Usain Bolt, to watch people sprint as quick as they can. I get really into water polo and handball for those two weeks. 
Yeah, I, I would also call myself a casual fan of competitive walking. <laughs> well, breakdancing um, is going to be in there this year, so I'm looking forward to that. See how weird that Okay. Low-key, though, that could be a very interesting event because maybe we're all guilty. We're all guilty of sitting there at some point watching a breakdancing video going, man, that's cool. Yeah. Everyone. And if you're not, you're not a human being. I just have news for you. But I'm, I might be interested in that. I might, I might be a casual breakdancing fan now. Um, I need to figure out how to keep up with competitive walking throughout the non-Olympic years. But that's, um, that's a segment for another day. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go with another NFL take here. One that we've talked about a little bit, but maybe not in this capacity. I'll just say it, really no fluff to it, hot take. There are too many mock drafts. Everyone who has a computer should not be allowed to do a mock draft. I'm sorry. And, and everyone that works for a specific company should not be allowed to do a mock draft. Because every time you log on to, and I'm not going to call out different places. I understand why it's content. I understand why it's popular. I love the draft. It's one of my favorite things of the year. But when you log on to websites and it's like this person's mock draft, this person's mock draft, that person's mock draft 2.0. You know what? I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. There should be like three people in the world who are allowed to do a mock draft. And that's it. Because there can't be that much information available to all these other people that they, you know, this is basically just saying we think we know what's going to happen. Again, I understand why mock drafts are content. I completely get that. It's like the point that we talked about with the redrafts. I get it. It makes sense why it's content, but it is frustrating to see thousands of mock drafts from literally the night after the draft all the way up until the night before the draft in version 9.0. It's, it's just horrendous. Stop it. I don't like it. And we're also going to get the way too early 2022 a draft after the draft ends this weekend you i remember when i met you the first time though this is years ago for our listeners a little memory lane ryan was a big mock draft guy so he was a big mock draft guy so something obviously changed between then and now to where you don't like mock drafts i i find my mock drafts ridiculous because it's like you don't know you, you have an idea. I mean, if, if we could, we should just forward the clock to the fourth pick this year because we already know what picks one, two, and three will be. It's kind of like legitimate. You might as well plant concrete foundation bricks and build the house. That's how cemented the first three picks are of this year's draft. And it's going to be so irritating watching the first round and you have nine to ten minutes go by and they're going to tr try to build the drama. Ooh, who, who are the Jets going to take here at number two? Well, hey, they've been talking about Zach Wilson since February, so it's it's going to happen. But mock drafts are ridiculous. I Mike Mayock, that I talk about frequently, he didn't do them. And I he was the smartest guy in the game as far as I'm concerned, as far as draft analysis. Same with McShay. McShay does mock drafts, but I don't really think he puts as much stock into them as other guys in that field. Same with Daniel Jeremiah. It's just, it's irritating and it makes legitimately no sense at times. 
mind you, to your point and me liking mock drafts, I used to work for a website very briefly. It was less than a year where I did a mock draft competition amongst all the football writers and won because I got the most picks right in the first round. So I'm not calling my, I'm, this is certainly not me patting my back being like, oh, you're an expert because I don't have access to this information. The point is anyone can do it. I'm, I'm not an insider. I don't have any of this information. I'm just doing it to literally do the competition. And I got a check mailed to me for 50 bucks because I won. I shouldn't be allowed to do that. Don't give me that power. There should, again, there should be like four people in the world that get the opportunity to do it. There's, there can't be that much information available to people that they think that they know so much better than everybody else. And all of them are basically the same content at this point anyway. That's one of the other things I hate about the draft. Think about, think about during the draft where, and you alluded to it, that like nine minutes or 10 minutes in the first pick where they basically sit and talk about everything that we're going to see tonight, this and that. Make the pick. Make the pick. We know who it's going to be. Just announce it. It is a nuisance to sit there for 10 minutes and listen to people talk about it when we know it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. We know it's going to be Zach. Look, just end it. End it and let it be. That's why they should start the draft a half hour or an hour earlier. And I understand they try to do it for East West Coast time constraint thing. But, dude, when the draft first round is ending at like 1230 in the morning, it's like, okay, well, 10% of those guys in the first round are going to be in the league in three years. And we can easily shorten this by three to four minutes. Well, and then the next day, what's what's the big article the next day after the first round? What's the content piece the next day? Who won the draft? Ooh, draft grades. Draft grades. Draft grades, baby. One day after the draft, let's grade it. Hasn't stepped on a football field. Hasn't even been to the damn city that he got drafted to. Let's grade it. it. I hate it. So this is an interesting story. I love this. I was going to save it for do we understand, but – I feel like maybe it's more of a hot take thing. Disneyland site crashed today because of the demand of the park reopening at the end of the month on April 30th in California. That's been shut down for a year. I didn't know demand was that high and it's only going to be open for California residents. But according to the articles that I was reading today, it's has crashed multiple times, not just like a one-time thing. It has crashed three, four, five, six, seven times. And that's unbelievable. I mean, Disneyland demand is through the roof, apparently. And people are looking to go to California uh, for Disneyland instead of Disney World in Florida. So I'm just pulling this up. Resident population of the U.S. in 2020 by state. Uh, California does have the most by about 10 million people. So, I mean, it, it does make sense that you know, a lot of people from California would want to go, but it would also make significantly more sense if other people from other states were allowed to buy these things. Again, I can understand it's an attraction. I'm sure people in California, the convenience of having Disneyland in your backyard so you don't have to go to Disney World is significantly easier and significantly better. It's a drive down the coast or maybe a short flight if you live in, in Northern California. Where is Disney 
Disneyland? Is it in Southern California, Anaheim. Northern California? Where is it? Anaheim. Anaheim. Is that Southern? Northern. Northern. Okay. So if you're in Southern, you take a, a short flight. Maybe if you need time, whatever. It doesn't matter. I didn't realize. Disney needs to work on their websites. Disney needs to get their stuff together and get some more bits in their websites and streaming services, because if everything's going to crash it all the time, you need to be higher than high, apparently, with your bits per second or whatever you're operating. I'm sure it's not bits per second when you're Disney, but whatever it is, you need to get you need to work it up, Disney. Come on, get it, get better. We don't need every show that you release crashing your streaming service and every ticket release you have crashing your website. Pick it up. <laughs> Very well said, uh, Ryan. I, <laughs> what's crazy is it's been shut for a year. Disney World is in Florida and they're just chugging along, they move, moving through and it's the wild west down there and it's just going, going, going. And Disneyland has all these strict restrictions that you're not going to be able to buy day passes or all or fast passes, whatever they call it. You're not going to be able to do this, do that. You're going to have to wear a mask wherever you go, which I think is just something they put in there because I'm sure that's happening at the Disney World in Florida. But unbelievable. Disneyland crashing uh, websites because of demand. I mean... I guess I guess they are like the two most popular theme parks in in the United States. So, yeah, it makes sense that people want to be there. But also, I, I was thinking when you were saying that about the fast passes. I guess if you limit capacity, that might help solve the line problem. That is that a is that a possibility? It's like the argument of traffic, right? I've never understood traffic because. If everyone's moving, why are certain people stopped? And with Disney World lines or Disneyland lines, I, I've been to Disney World and I remember the lines being ridiculously long, even at like 10 years old. But I would imagine that Disneyland probably had the same problem. So if you limit capacity, Laura would have it that you would actually be able to ride the rides more than once a day. That makes sense. That makes sense. I am saving money as we speak for a trip to Disneyland in California. Everyone keeps telling me I should go to Florida, but Disneyland has all the parks that I want to be at. Star Wars, Marvel, because Marvel Park is only exclusive to Disneyland, which doesn't make sense because it's Disney's biggest property outside of Star Wars. And you're not going to put it in Florida because you put Star Wars World in Florida and California. And it also has the Avatar Park. It has Hollywood World. It's not as big. It's just a little bit smaller in like the size of things. But I think um, I'm, I'm going to do Disneyland later this year instead of World. Eventually, Disney World will just be its own. I mean, it kind of is already, but eventually they'll just own Orlando. And that'll be the only thing you can do in Orlando. Like, you know, the magic will be owned by Disney eventually, which... I guess in some senses. Well, they're a sponsor for the Orlando Magic, like on the jerseys, like right. so. Welcome, welcome to 2021, folks. All right. So this might be this is I saved this one for last because this might be my hottest take. Um, and as we've always said, there's some 
value of us believing it, but also some in the entertainment value. Um, I'm interested to see how this one plays out. But my hot take is, final one, is that the NHL playoffs this year will be more exciting than those from last year. So we've talked about how much we enjoyed the playoff format last year with the play-ins, the round robin at the beginning. Now, a lot of that obviously pulled out of the pandemic and and you had to do it that way or you weren't going to be able to do it any other way. Uh, But the reason that I think it's going to be more fun this year is for the same reason I don't think the regular season is quite as fun this year is playing the same team seven times when we get to the conference finals in the Stanley cup, these teams will have not met. There will be nothing previous to go on. We're basically going to have to look back and say, well, the last time they played in January of 2020, there's no evidence of what this is going to look like. Does that insinuate that there could be immediate bad blood? Sure. You could also realistically have teams that are in the same division that have not seen each other. And again, over a year, playing in a conference final. I love that. I think that's a very entertaining model. As much as I love the play-in model for the playoff, I love the fact that these teams may not have played each other throughout the regular season and could be very, very much rivals whenever they get there. So I'm interested to see how this plays out. I know the first round is, is first two rounds are still going to be like playing your division, but I love the idea of teams not playing each other And as we get down the stretch, I'm looking forward to it more and more. I think you're the first guy that I've heard say that the playoffs will be better this year than they were last year. I, the play-in tournament was unbelievable, right? You're starting playoff hockey at noon and you're finishing at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. It's fascinating how well it's worked out for them. There's been a lot of bumps early on. I mean, if you look at Vancouver, Vancouver seems to just, I don't know what's in the water up there, but they are having a tough time in Vancouver. Canucks or Canucks, as I've heard some people call them recently. I, if I had to give a Stanley Cup preview, way too early Stanley Cup preview at this juncture, as we get closer to the playoffs, I would say it'd be Vegas. I, I don't know who is competing with Vegas. Maybe Tampa. Tampa still looks like they have a lot of pieces. Pittsburgh looks like they can make a deep playoff run for the first time in a while, which is interesting. But I've been pretty involved in hockey since March Madness led up along with Nick's Minute. By the way, Nick's Minute, we won last night, so that's good. We're still in the playoff um, I think one thing we need to talk about with Vegas that I think for some reason is lost in hockey. I don't know if it's lost in the hockey world, but I think people just don't talk about it enough is how good of a goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury is. Moved into fourth all-time in wins with his win last night. It's not that people don't think he's a great goaltender, and certainly he's had the benefit of longevity, but you don't just get to be fourth in wins all-time as a goaltender in the NHL. That just doesn't happen. And very likely could be in, in third passing um, Roberto Luongo by the end of the season. I, I'm sorry, but I feel like there's an underrated aspect of how good Marc-Andre Fleury is. And certainly he had plenty of great years with the Penguins. 
but it almost feels like it's maybe not a different level with the Golden Knights, but a continuation of what we already knew was going to happen. But props to you, Marc-Andre Fleury. I would love to see him get another cup, um, but mostly I would love to see the Penguins get another cup. So fingers, fingers crossed. Who do you think at this juncture looks Stanley Cup final ready? The thing is, is I think the Knights are one of the teams, as you mentioned. Um, one of the other things, and I know we've talked about it in terms of the March Madness tournament, I think a team from the East Division, say the Capitals or the Islanders or, or maybe the Dark Horse Penguins right now, are, are built for it too because the East is tough. So it's, it's going to be tough to come out of there. So if you can survive up until uh, the, the conference final, you have a good shot of winning it. But And I said it back a couple of weeks ago, and I stand by it, is the Maple Leafs, there, is, there are a few teams, if, if not any, that are deeper than Toronto right now. So if they can keep their nose clean, I realize this comes on the, the back of they have to survive and get there because they have not been good at doing that the last how many ever years. I don't know if there's a team deeper than them right now. And people often look at a team like Colorado. There, I saw a stat today that uh, those on their top line are the top three leaders in points since March 1st in the NHL. Um, Miko Rant and then Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog are like, oh, this first line. Okay, what happens when the second through fourth lines mm. are on the ice? Where are those guys at? I'm not necessarily concerned about how great your first line is, but if you have four deep lines like the Toronto does, I'm a little bit more I'm a little bit more inclined to think that you can make a deep run. This is appropriate for leading into our interview, but my last hot take is just give the people what they want. Always. I don't know what you're about to say next, but give the people what they want. People are furious over GameStop's limited, repeated over and over lack of restocking Xboxes, Series X and S's and PS5s. I understand GameStop is a dinosaur living in the technology age and they're Let's be honest, they're on the way to blockbuster status of being shut very, very soon. Just one, we're going to see a last remaining GameStop documentary. But just do, I understand the demand's also high for the consoles, but people want these, people crave them. They're still extremely hard to get do a better job of restocking. I mean, there's times apparently where GameStop's restocking for PS5 and there's only like one that they have available. And it's it almost seems like a ploy to get people to continue to go to GameStop. I think the last time I was at a GameStop, there was a bunch of weird stuff. There were Funko Pops, there were T-shirts, there, were, there was a cooler, there were candy bars. And I don't remember any of that in the GameStop, you know, from the time that I used to go all the time. And I just, I don't know what happens here, but I do know that I'm going to get a new Xbox along with the Disneyland trip that I have planned later this year and uh, get some games. But 
I don't know if I'm going to do it through GameStop with all this going on. So, and I'm only going off what I know about GameStop. And for those who have been listening to this for a long time, you know, Ryan and I don't come from big cities. The, the GameStop that is in our local mall, I, I cannot believe it has not closed down yet. Mm. I mean, when, when you look in that place, I'm like, what, what do they even have? Because when you look in there, it looks like as if there's nothing in there anyway. And you've also described FYE for me too, whenever it comes to, when it comes to like what they sell, because I remember back in the day, now I understand things change. We have Amazon music to listen to our music. Now we don't need CDs, but like, I remember when FYE was like this music, just, just battling. It was everything, everything, music and DVDs that you could want. It was huge. Now you walk into an FYE, you've described there's like toys, there's Funkos, there's shirts, there's the candy bars. It, it's similar in that respect. And I'm like, I didn't, I wasn't consulted on where the shift happened. Like I, I, I was not asked about this because I bought enough one. I know my dad did too, but enough CDs and DVDs in these stores that we should have at least been asked to on when this shift was going to happen. I can't believe that GameStop exists anymore to to be completely honest and the reason being as soon as i heard that you can like download games i'm like why does anybody need a physical copy of a game anymore if you can just download it right to your thing i mean i understand that in some respects like i've even said it like if i could get like a physical copy of a roberto clemente cover for a for a game like that would be cool because i i collect some of his stuff but at the same time it why do you need it if you can just download it right to your console? But if you're only going to download one or you're only going to order one console for people to buy at a time, I guess it doesn't really matter either way how you do it because no one's going to get to play games. Do you think this is just something GameStop can't control though? Because everyone thinks, me included, maybe it's not their fault, but do you think this is something that is out of their control on the restock? I think it is probably a little bit. Um, I, I also think it goes into with with the supply and demand of this whole thing. Um, there's a there's a lot of a lot of evidence in other industries to suggest that su supply is more limited than what the demand is in the last year for anything. Um, like I I can use one example that I was reading about today. Basically, in the in the card industry, you can submit your cards to be graded. It's graded on a scale of one through ten. You can do the same with like comic books and stuff. Basically, these companies that do this have basically told people, stop sending us your shitty cards because we don't have time to grade them. So please stop doing that and please just send us what's valuable. But I also think like applying that to this, people have more time. People have more free time and for activities and people were saying, well, I can get a PS5 or, or an Xbox, whatever the new Xbox is. They have that income from the stimulus, whatever it is, they can do it, but maybe they can't make them fast enough. So PlayStation and Xbox are saying like, whoa, like chill, like we need time to do this, but it also could just be the whole, there's, we talked about this. We talked about it a little bit in our interview here next to the way that like NFTs work now, where there's only a limited supply and like you have to be in the in the drop or if you're not in the drop you're not going to get it 
Like, just sell me the item. Like, people, I, I think people have a complex that they need to feel exclusive in this world now. When I have news for you, none of us are that important. I'm sorry. None of us are that cool that we have to be a part of the drop. Just give me what I want and let's move about our day. Do we understand NFTs? No. Still don't understand NFTs. <laughs> Trying hard though. Does it make sense? Just give me my Xbox and PlayStation. Ryan, I am so freaking ecstatic for people to hear our interview. Tell the people who we have. It's unbelievable. It's incredible. It could be, you know what? No, not it could be. It is the best interview we've done. It, it's one of those interviews similar to Bobani, Coach, Nikki Glazer, where they're, TJ, TJ was a great interview. But, you know, no shame to our other guests. You know, those, those are interviews that stick out in our mind, though. But, I mean, this interview is unbelievable. Yeah, this is this is one of my favorite ones that we've done too. And and I even told you off air, I was like, if if Blair wanted to continue talking to us, if he wanted to join this show, we could talk to him every single episode. But uh, for those who are listening, we have an interview today with Blair Herter, who is the VP of brand uh, G4, used to work for G4. Um, but this is a fantastic conversation about the relaunch of, of G4, kind of what we can expect with their services, how some of the programming is coming back, some of the new stuff that we can expect. But I could just talk to him about literally anything. And, and some of the back half of the conversation, you, you all will hear that, but I could just talk to him about anything that he wanted to talk about for an unlimited amount of time. So I hope that, I, and I've said this many, many times, and it's the first time I get to say it in a while, I hope you all enjoy this interview as much as we enjoyed recording it. And now our interview with Blair Herter. All right. We now welcome one VP of brand at G4 and self-described job title as father of the year, Mr. Blair Herter. Blair, thank you for joining the two Ryan sports show today. Thank you for having me. It's aspiring father of the year. I won't give myself that label. My son needs to give it to me. He hasn't yet, which is really disappointing but I'm still shooting for it. So let's see what happens. There's still plenty of year left for you to get there. I, I think we can, I think that can happen at least before the end of the year. If not, 2022 is looking up for you too. I so. appreciate that. Thank you. you so got, yeah, absolutely. You got plenty of time to claim your title. Well, Blair, G4 is coming back. We, we have been talking about it for a couple of weeks on and off air. It's exciting to hear. It's, it's almost like a part of our childhoods and, and, part of kind of growing up in that era. So, and I know you're excited about it too. We're interviewing you on the day that uh, the announcements made that American or Ninja Warrior, I should say, not, not American, but Ninja Warrior is coming back to G4. Yeah. Uh, so in your eyes, just full scope, what, what's the most exciting thing or what are you most excited for about the return of G4 to the, to the public eye? Man, it's a great question. I mean, hearing other people excited that it's coming back is obviously something I'm very excited to hear. First of all, I'm going to give you guys credit on your own show. The, the, the diligence to reach out to me the way that you did and get me on this thing, kudos. That's the way to do stuff. Like, I appreciate the move to have this conversation. You guys are awesome. So thank you for reaching out. Um, yeah, look, I G4 is a part of my childhood too. I know Adam doesn't want to hear this because we're homies but I'm like dude I like I was like in high school when I was watching you and you know I remember tech tv and then obviously like things like when they moved to LA and it became G4 
Um, and I just remember what it felt like to be a fan of G4 back then. And I remember, you know, like just making sure I carved out enough time in the day to make sure I caught X play and attack of the show and arena and portal and cheat and like all the other stuff that G4 was making at the time. And I remember what it was like to be a fan. And I remember how much value that gave me in my life. Like it was the first time back then that, you know, people were like openly nerdy about stuff. You know what I mean? Like we, they were like celebrating all the stuff that like, I mean, I can see your wall, like the stuff that usually was like in our bedrooms, but we didn't really take it out in the public with us. Right. And I just remember like how empowering that was. And now we live in a world where like, you can, you, you fly your geek flag every single day and, you know, and, and the, the world has changed and everybody is a geek and it's a lot bigger than just people in their bedrooms or, you know, in arcades and things like that. And so I think just the opportunity to come back and create that same environment and that same uh, celebration of all the stuff we care about for a much larger audience is just like, it was too good to pass up. And aspirationally, you know, as we were talking about before you guys started recording, like I was working at MTV, I was, so growing up, I loved music and video games and, and TV and, you know, as just like us, we're just, just nerdy dude who consumes as much entertainment as possible. I grew up in a trailer in the deep, deep South. Like my nearest neighbor was a mile away. So on Friday night, it was like, I hit the library and I hit Blockbuster. And then it was just me in, it was just me in the trailer playing video games, reading books, listening to music, whatever. Um, so I either wanted to work in music or games, but there was no such thing as like video game broadcast, whatever. But I knew I wanted to make stuff. I love the entertainment industry. So I, I started working at MTV and I was doing music stuff, which was amazing. And then I remember like when G4, G4, like I forget who picked them up, but suddenly they were in a lot more TVs. And I was like, oh, this company is like really growing. And um, I did everything in my power to, to get a job at G4. And so it's twofold. I want, I'm excited to create that thing for people to see again, but I'm also excited to bring back that job for people. You know what I mean? Cause like, I remember being that kid, I was like 24, 25 when I started working at G4 and it was just like, I got to go work at that place because it seems so awesome. And it was right. And like, it truly was like, we were in the middle of like the, you know, the E we were next to E and style network and like nobody fucking understood us. And we were just like these weirdos in the middle doing all this stuff. And I remember the culture that was created there. And, and, you know, it's the kind of place you like got to work early and you didn't leave till late, but not because the job took forever. It's just like, once you finished work, you were just hanging out and to be, to be much older now, 40 now, Although I turned 40 in the pandemic and I didn't get to do like some crazy 39 bonkers 40. So I'm 39. Thank you. Um, like now that I'm in charge of like creating that culture with a group of other leaders, like I will ensure that it happens, you know, and we're not talking a whole lot about, we're just now starting to announce things. Epic April, like you said, Ninja Warrior was announced today, which again, I was, I, I hosted the first season of American Ninja Warrior, then they fired me. And so to be able to like be a part of the deal that brings Ninja Warrior back to G4 mm -hmm. was like just uh, also like emotionally it was some closure for me. Um, but we're building like a 60,000 square foot facility and it's just gonna be a giant playground, you know, and like a land center and like all this crazy stuff. And I just can't wait to like, I can't wait to see the new group of like 20 somethings coming in and like making all the crazy shit that we made. And I'm just the guy that like approves budgets and makes sure nobody gets arrested. and whatever, you know? So that, that's exciting for me to be, to provide that new thing. You know what I mean? If people didn't watch G4 in the old days, 
just watch the reunion special on YouTube because that'll explain G4 kind of like in a nutshell, like exactly how it was the reunion special from this past Thanksgiving. But look, man, attack this show. I don't think people realize how influential it was to not just games, but like the culture you had, by the way, your hard hitter hitting journalist on the feed segment or during attack of the show, when they go to you for those three, four stories. Yeah. But they did midnight launches for halo three. They had segments like DVD Tuesday, gadget prawn. They, you know, talked about the HD DVD wars versus Blu-ray, all those kind of old things. I don't know if you can get into it too much, but what should we expect from the new attack of the show? Cause you got Kevin Pereira, KP coming back and I'm sure he has uh, some crazy stuff up his sleeve. Yeah. And, and, and um, we haven't announced really the step we're staffing up right now, but um, we have folks from the old days coming back, but we also, so we know what attack of the show is, right? Like we know what it's supposed to be, but we also understand that it's a whole new world now, right? It's 2021, 22. I'll probably get fired at 22. So I'm not going to say 23, but like, I got another year in me probably. Um, So we know we got to kind of like expand it. And so I think the staff that we're bringing in, the creators we're bringing in, the talent that we're bringing in is really going to help us shape what that next version of Attack of the Show is. So I don't know if I have the answer to what the new Attack of the Show is. I know what the core, the heart of Attack of the Show is, but it's really going to be the people that we're bringing in around us to tell us and help us build what that new one is, right? Um, Which is very, very exciting. And yeah, we're excited that KP's coming back, Sessler obviously coming back as well. but yeah, that, that, that show in that time, I mean, when I look back, like when, when KP and Olivia left, we kind of had like this uh, weekly revolving door of hosts, right? Of like just people coming into guest hosts, and we're going to find a new person. And dude, you look back then, you look back and it was like Camille Nanjiani, uh, Neil Brennan, Pete Holmes, Eric Andre, like these people that have gone on to do crazy shit, Donald Glover, like these were people just rolling in, like trying to be the next host of Attack of the Show. So our hope is that we can be that cultural moment again, right? And and look, we the world has has changed quite a bit, but I had a meeting with NBC today talking about all their talent, because you know, Comcast, NBC, you know, all part of the same family. And like there still really isn't that place where celebrities can come and just be their truest, nerdiest selves, right? Like they can go do their own streams and you know, so and so Fallon can go stream with you know, AOC and Valkyrie and whatever, but like this, this is the place I think where people are going to go, we're calling it, we're building the club, we're rebuilding the clubhouse. And we think this is a spot where you can come and just do you and doesn't matter how famous or not famous you are. Like, uh, so we hope to get that, that back. I can tell you that's part of the ethos of Attack of the Shows. Like, you know, we're not going to have James Cameron on to review cameras. We're going to have James Cameron on to review a camera and then we're going to have him fucking smash 10 other cameras. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because that's like, why wouldn't we? That's where that's attack of the show. As long as you ATN comes back. Oh, well, look, man, we're not making any sort of commitments whatsoever to what they're going to be. But (laughs) I think that you can deeply believe in in a return of ATN and chances are that's going to manifest itself. But I won't commit to anything at all. Hopes, hopes high. Thanks for, (laughs) thanks for confirming. But uh, (laughs) One one thing that I feel like, um, you know, G4 in, in some ways did, you know, in, in the video game world, maybe not so much directly, but the the world that we live in now with Twitch streaming, video game competitions, it's almost like that took off rate kind of as everything was was at that point, that, that ending point. But that is a big part of where we're at now. 
So how do you see something like Twitch streaming, video game competitions, anything of that nature kind of making its way onto G4? I know that there's a lot of moving parts with this, but how does something like that, that that's kind of grown into a, a global phenomenon make its way back into, into G4? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, and you know, what we've, all, what we've said is that we, like I said, we're the clubhouse that everybody comes to play in. So it's where 100 Thieves and FaZe Clan and Dignitas can come and like, and hang out on a show and play foosball. And like, we'll find a way to work some sort of crazy attack stunt where we have like some sort of claw that comes in and like fucks with them or something. I don't know, we'll figure it out. Um, and I think it's the same thing for Twitch streamers, right? And YouTube creators where, you know, we're going to, we're going to bring in, we've announced a couple of people now. I, I can tell you that we're probably going to have, by the time we launch the network, we're very much looking at it like um, it's less, we're going to have show hosts that are going to naturally kind of gravitate towards certain shows, but you know, Kate, like KP is going to be on attack of the show. Like that makes a, a lot of sense. Right. But Cesar will be on X play, but you know, the idea is to really, it's like the SNL model where like, we're going to just bring in a cast. And we're going to have 15 or 20 people. And those 15 or 20 people are going to be traditional broadcasters, maybe a journalist from the esports space, uh, you know, big IRL Twitch streamer here and YouTube content creator there an animator there. And we think that if we can just create an environment that, again, celebrates all of the stuff that we love, we can find effective ways to create content with all those people and bring their worlds in. And, you know, to your point, it's like, it's not just about hiring a Twitch streamer now. It's about like, are they going live an hour before in their own stream and then raiding into attack of the show? And then that becomes, you know, so there are a lot of ways to move audiences around that we're playing with directly with the creators that we're talking to. Um, and then also working directly with the platforms to maybe do some innovative stuff, right? Like we are talking quite a bit. We're going to be digital. We're going to be linear. Um, we've said those things. We haven't announced where yet, but like, on the digital side, it's pretty obvious we're going to be on YouTube and Twitch. Um, you know, working directly with them to talk about like, yo, this is when we're going to launch. What's your product pop pipeline look like? When can we, what can we be doing that isn't currently available that we can do on Attack of the Show, premiere on X-Play? So, you know, that type of stuff. Um, and then I think the other thing, just in terms of the content, especially in the video game space, I think that what X-Play always was, was a more a deeper look, but a more like personal look and a more human look and a more accessible look into the gaming world. And so let's say Halo Infinite comes out and you know, there's a million streamers are gonna be streaming Halo Infinite, right? We know that, but we think X-Play is the place where like Kiki Wolfkill and Phil Spencer can come on the show and like have beers while we talk about Halo Infinite, while we're, while we're playing Halo Infinite. So like, I think that's where we can, again, create a space where people that are normally, you know, they're either performers, actors, whatever, that are on a press junket or a developer or a head of a studio that would normally just be in a regular press interview. As you guys know, we were never about that. And we're not going to be about that this time either. And so we think that'll immediately kind of differentiate us from, from other spots too. X-Play. I was just telling him before you came in here. That was like the way when I was in high school, like, okay, mom, like, you know, if my grades are good, can I get this game this week? Because uh, X-Play gave it a five out of five. Yeah. And it was a half hour segment, you know, well, half hour show, you got 22 minutes, you got eight minutes of commercials. With Twitch and YouTube now, I'm almost 
I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like X play doesn't fit the half hour model anymore. I feel like it fits, you know, something like Twitch, like Ryan's talked about, because X play is probably the most personable thing. Like you can get game informer, game spot, stuff like that. Like I've done in the past, but it doesn't have the personability that X play does. Cause Sessler Morgan Webb, I don't know if she's coming back, but that was one of the most influential, I think, things about video games, especially when 360 came out and PS3, people were like, okay, well, G4 is going to E3, where are these games going to rate on their radar? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, again, haven't figured out a lot of the formats yet, but I think you can look at what we're testing a lot of stuff before G4, as we, we were talking about earlier. Um, like, look at what Sessler did with that cyberpunk review that he did where basically we we're like yo Sessler you have 20 minutes go make a cyberpunk review but don't give it a score and then like you know seven minutes was him just trying to find every dildo in the game like because he was just like fascinated with like how many just the obscene amount and unnecessary amount of dildos in this game um so you know I, I'm I'm genuinely interested to, to see how that format evolves right because I want to know what the X play game review is because it look as we've said like games are like in alpha they're alphas are being streamed now so like you can probably formulate an opinion on a game based on the 15 streamers you as a gamer follow on a regular basis so for us the core of it was always we would always go into work every day and all we wanted to do was make each other laugh that's it that was the goal and to make each other laugh and and give an honest experience uh, in terms of scores, like an honest accounting of what we thought the score was. And that's just what we're going to do again. Like what we're saying is we're a comedy network with a gaming problem and we're still going to just going to try to make each other laugh. And like probably through committee come together on a score of some sort. Um, but again, I truly don't know if they're going to just like throw scores away. Like I have no clue. Right. Like, cause you know, the world has changed. As I've said many times now, it's like, sometimes all you need to do is watch gameplay for 30 minutes and you can make up your own mind, you know? So for us, it's just going to be like, play something, tell us what was fun, tell us what was shitty, make fun of it a lot. And then, you know, there's your, there's your review. So we'll, we'll see how it goes, you know, but I, I, I try. So I, I run the brand team, which is the marketing, PR, uh, social community, um, branded content design teams. And then the joke is when we get into the building, they'll give me the janitorial team too to round it out to like a bunch of, to six. But I, because I have access to all of those other show teams, but as a fan, like I'm kind of staying out of some of it. Cause I'm like, I want to be surprised. Like you guys, you guys tell me what it's going to be, you know, which is kind of cool to, to be inside, but also like staying back a little bit to be surprised. When G4 ended, and this is my last question, it, you know, it, it was, nuts you know like comic book movies were already like in the thick of things but like there wasn't this massive pop right and we're also in the streaming pop obviously and we were just talking about the other day how marvel is the biggest property probably in the world as far as entertainment mm -hmm. programming wise g4 maybe this is another thing you can't talk about yet but should we expect something like that where they're going to be talking about comic books and shows like Game of Thrones, you know, I know it's been over a year and a half, two years now since it's ended, but shows like that where it's just, you know, something more niche in that area and, you know, talking about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we, you know, again, won't get into the details, but yeah, I mean, we look, man, fandom is everywhere now. Fandom is, 
gaming and sneaker culture and music and movies and comics and, you know, Lego and, you know, Ghostbusters inside of like, like it's just, and you know, it's just, it's everywhere, dude. So my wife hosts a paranormal show on discovery, like fucking Sasquatch in my mind is like geeky as all hell. Like, so, you know, I think it's just, we, I'll say this without committing, because we will, you know, we will be on linear, but because there's a digital world out there, we have a lot more time to celebrate the things we love than we had in the past. And so that gives us an opportunity to talk about a lot more stuff than we already talked about. And as you pointed out, we already talked about a lot of stuff back in the day. And so um, I'm super excited about that, right? Cause like, of course the linear format still exists. There's gonna be a 22 and a 44 or whatever, but you know, man, the digital expression is gonna be digital endemic. So like, again, making this up, but who knows? Like, we could do a 97 minute version of Attack of the Show on Twitch if we wanted to. Nobody's gonna stop us, you know? And so um, it's a really interesting puzzle that the programming team is putting together, but they're doing a hell of a job of it. And I think everybody's gonna be excited. Um, but yeah, we got a lot of room to play, you know? And I think we're gonna celebrate absolutely everything because it, it's, it, it has changed. It's broadened out, you know, so much. And, um, you know, that's what I'm excited about. Like I had a meeting, about like NFTs yesterday. And like, of course, with anything, like it gets on, yeah, which by, by the way, cryptocurrency and NFTs, like I'm just not smart enough. Like I'm trying to get rich fast, but I just don't, I don't, I just don't understand it. Like talk to me about baseball cards and then I get it. And then we started talking about like NFT tops baseball cards, right? Thank then you. I understood it. And like, I don't know if we would have ever talked about top baseball cards on the last attack of this show, but it makes so much sense to talk about them now you know, because it's a collector thing. And also now their tops is going to do NFTs next year. And so I think we just have like a lot more room to play and I'm excited to talk about like a lot more stuff and excited for the team to talk about a lot more stuff too. It's funny you talk about that. I got a stack of baseball and football cards here sitting next to me. I'm a, I'm a big collector myself. We've, yeah. we've talked a lot on this show. Well, not a lot, but enough on this show about NFTs and, and how that culminates in this new new culture and, and we have a segment called do we understand where we we don't necessarily understand it but people are getting people are loving it <laughs> so there's yeah. obviously a there's obviously a brand for it and people are following it hardcore yeah and it just makes me happy dudes like it's been such a shitty world like i think i don't care who you are even 2020 sucked for george clooney probably you know what i mean which is like should be a like a universal impossibility but like I'm excited that people are finding something to be passionate about, right? And if even though I don't understand it, like, yeah, man. And then like to people that like, here's what's gonna happen. Like you have physical, you have limited edition physical goods. So like, that's only gonna drive your stuff up eventually. But I'm just excited people are finding like their own, their, their own thing that we all discovered very early on in our lives through comic books or games or whatever, you know? So I think, I think it's cool what it's doing there's a lot of nostalgia in, in some senses going back around that. And, and you bring up kind of my last question here. Uh, one of my favorite things to do before we have any guests on this show is I like to stalk your Twitter account. I just straight up tell you that I'll stalk your Twitter account. Um, I see number one, and you've talked about it. You're a big Lego fan. So what, what is, what is a Lego that like a Lego set that you need to complete? What's, what's kind of the ultimate top tier Lego set that, that Blair needs? I gotta be honest, man. My wife, Jessica is like the best and the most supportive. And like, I'm still wearing like, 
I'm still, I mean, I'm still wearing sweatpants from like high school. Like I do not spend money on stuff. Like my car is old. I ride my bike everywhere. Like whatever, dude, I don't, you know, it's, it's whatever. So when I have a, when I have a hobby, she's all about that life. And I've been collecting Legos for 35 years. So I'd say I have most of them. And I'll tell you the one thing two years ago for Christmas, are you, is, are you a Lego, either of you Lego, Lego fans? Not huge, but I, I know a little bit about it okay. enough to, enough to survive. Okay. There'll be somebody listening. That's an A-fall and A-fall is an adult fan of Lego, by the way. Um, so the kind of the Holy grail is the, the first, so uh, they make, they do a lot of licensed products, Star Wars being like the most famous one. And they had the ultimate collector series. And so the way the ultimate collector series works is they make 1500 of them and they never make it again. Right. Just like any rare collectible. And so you either buy it in a store, right. At for 300 bucks or whatever it is. And if you don't get it in the store, you're shit out of luck. You got to go secondary market, which is a disaster. So when we started dating, I was like, look, there are two things in the world that, uh, well, three things in the world that I need in my life. One is a Drew Brees autographed football, but right before we started dating, the Saints won the Super Bowl and I got super drunk and I went to an auction and I bought one of his footballs that he threw in the Super Bowl. Um, like, I think I like maxed out like two credit cards to pay for this thing. So I was like, I already got the Drew Brees Super Bowl football. I'm good there. Um, I need a first edition. This is like just for the next, the rest of our lives. We're gonna be, we're gonna be alive for 60 more years together. I want a first edition of the Gunslinger, which is the Stephen King, the Dark Tower series. I want to first edi- collect first edition books, first edition of the Gunslinger, and then, which is a lot more accessible than this other thing, which is the original Ultimate Collector series Lego Millennium Falcon, is like mm-hmm. the holy grail. Like you, you can't. It's you can find them online, but they're not. They're not cheap items. And so, and then they went on to make. A, I'm looking at it. The Ultimate Collector system. Millennium Falcon Force Awakens version, which is the same size, but it's updated. But the original is like, and uh, yeah, man, two years ago for Christmas, like that's what she got me. And it was just like, I still haven't built it. Like I literally, I opened it like a month ago to start. Cause we, we built, I built this Lego room. I opened it a month ago to build it and, and, and opened it and the certificate of authenticity and I held it up and I started crying and my hands were shaking. And I was like, I can't fucking build this yet. And like, I put it back in the box and then I put the box back in the closet. So I have it. I just, I'm not man enough to build it yet. Like I got to get past this emotional hump or something. Um, so I'm good. The challenge with Lego is every year they make like new dope stuff. And so it never stops like baseball cards or whatever you collect, you know, it's like you guys, you're collectors, you get it. It never stops. Yeah. There's, um, I have about 50 saved eBay searches for my cards and I go through them every day. So you, you got to stay on top of it or you're going to miss something. It's so hard. So that is my advice to anybody that collects Lego. Those ultimate collector series, I know it seems expensive in the store, but if you're ever going to want that thing, that is the cheapest it's ever going to be. So grab it, you know, if you can. Secondary market is not fun. Well, one, one last thing to that point here again, you mentioned it. This is a sports show. So we have to get in our, our brief sports moment with you. Yeah. Saints fan. We oh, see yeah. that on your Twitter. You grew up in Louisiana, completely fits the bill. It almost feels wrong if you're not. Yeah. So where, where do you see the Saints going into this next year, being that Drew Brees is gone, maybe on the, the back half, obviously the back half of his career and going a little downhill, mm-hmm. but where, where do the Saints go here next year without him and with a completely new 
almost franchise in some senses. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. First of all, hey, hey, Zoom, I'll, I'll tell you how much remaining time we have, okay? I, we don't have 9.50 Zoom. It's like we're being played off at the Oscar. No, man, we're going to be done. We're done. Um, <laughs> by the way, I have till 4.30, so I, I cleared an hour for this. Let's let's keep dancing if you want. Um, I um, we, we, we can't forget, first of all, it's depth. I knew, we all knew it was coming. But it was still so sad when he dropped that video with his kids announcing retirement. We all knew the second when he walked off the field for that last time, we all knew. Um, but let's not forget, Sean Payton is the motherfucker that kicked an onside kick to start the second half of the, of the Super Bowl, right? That guy is an amazing coach. And I think we're going to have some crazy, weird Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, like wild ass year where we're like, we, go, we win like four games, but they're like amazing wins or whatever, right? Um, but like Sean Payton, that's, that is a masterful coach. And I think we're going to build and, and build and build and be good. Kamara's extraordinary. Like we still have pieces. Um, and, uh, but next year is going to be, it'll just be fun to watch, but it's going to be sad to just not see him. I don't know if my feelings are going to be, I'm not going to be sad because he's not there or if like, maybe we're not performing the way we did, but to your point, like wasn't his best year last year, you know, got hurt and. It is what it is, but man, that guy gave us a lot of great years of his life. So, you know, I'm grateful. My kid got to watch him, you know, in his prime. Like he's, he started watching football with me. Like the second I could, he could hold his head up. Like he, second he could stop doing that. Like I was holding the back of his head and make him watch football, you know? And like, I got, I got a Saints Super Bowl in my lifetime, which if you grew up as a Saints fan, like I did, mm-hmm. I mean, dude, I, I went to games at the Superdome when people were wearing bags on their heads, you know? So like the idea of like, probably like a Browns fan. I'm not making fun of Browns fans, but like, I know what that feels like. So that, and that dude gave us that after Katrina, which made it like, I mean, a million times more special. So, um, but it's going to be, it's going to be hard to get back there. Cause that was just a special time. And like the universe was on the saints side back in the day, you know? So we'll see. That Super Bowl was almost destiny. One of the stories you can't can't write up in Hollywood, but I, I have to say, I have a lot of respect for just as a football fan. I'm a Steelers fan. Ryan's an Eagles fan. I have a lot of respect for Taysom Hill because it's awesome to watch somebody run down on kickoff team and then play quarterback the next series. Like you, yeah. you're never going to see that in the modern NFL. That's some yeah. 1930s NFL stuff. 100%. Dude, I, there are times where I'm like, I bet Taysom Hill wishes he wasn't wearing a face mask right now. Like he wants to know what it feels like to play both sides with no protection like he's a monster right and it's gonna be fun what do you do when you got you're in like some wildcat with like him and alvin kamara in the back like what do you do what's the defense do in that moment you know hopefully it leads to win so you can get that super bowl feeling back again because i'm sure you could also go on a very long rant about how you could have had a few more super bowls the last year too like most saints fans could Dude. Dude, let me just, let me just, I'll, I'll close this particular conversation with like, I live in LA. My kid was born in Santa Monica. I've been in, uh, I was in Louisiana for 19 years and then LA and New York for 21 now. So I am more of a some, somewhere else than Louisiana, but Saints are always the first love, but like my kid was born here. So I've had Rams season tickets since the Rams came back and I've taken them to Rams games. Rams are our second team, but fuck the Rams on that in the playoffs. Like that was, that was our Super Bowl, man. I know every team can say this about something, but I think I can see you both nodding. 
I think most NFL fans agree that was our year to win the Super mm-hmm. Bowl again. And that call, I'll never forget. I was in, I'll never forget. This is going to sound like a weird thing. I was in London for work. I had a, I flew to London that day, wore my Saints jersey on the plane, drank beers on the plane, the whole flight to London, landed, immediately went to a pub. And I was just like, they didn't understand. I was like, can you put the Saints? And they're like, uh, yeah, they were playing on like BT Sport or something like that. And nobody understood like the emotional ride that that game took me on. It was just like so surreal to be like in another country, like so upset. Um, but the Rams, they, the refs, it wasn't the Rams fault, like whatever, but yeah, you guys, you guys remember that moment. That one we, hurt. We've all had those moments of sports. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not, um, it's not uncommon for any fandom to not have that moment in their life. Yeah. Um, I thought you guys were going to take it this year, man. You guys were that first, what, 12 games of the year was like, you guys were on a run, dude. My, my wife's brother, it, my wife's brother-in-law is a, is a, a Steelers season ticket holder. Mm-hmm. So he, we text every game. And he was real confident the first half of the season. Yeah, it was easy to be confident at 12 and 0. But then when you lose four straight, people seem to lose a lot of confidence. Yeah, and yeah. it seems to snowball even maybe even I don't want to say to the team, but I'm sure that they see some of that and feel that pressure more. But yeah. Hey, one last ride with Ben. Well, we'll see where that goes. We'll, we'll both have fun next year. And Ryan's going to have fun as an Eagles fan, too, with all his quarterback nonsense as well. Dude, all, I, all I care about is G4 coming back. That's all I care about. So. G, the Eagles might have more quarterbacks next season than G4 has hosts, though. And the way that you guys are like hot swapping quarterbacks left and right, dude. Yeah. Who's the QB next year? Who, who's, the, who's the starting QB next year? Jalen Hurts and G4 needs talent. So, I mean, I'm sure he'll be available. <laughs> you can swap into Migos quarterbacks for hosts on G4. You got, you got plenty idea. of them. Crazier things have happened at G4 for sure. Yeah. Well, and we'll see where the next leg goes to us. Um, next leg goes for G4 as well. But, uh, Blair, we really do appreciate you taking time to talk to yeah. us on this show here today. Um, with everything G4 and everything that you're dipping your toes into now, we wish you guys a lot of luck. We'll definitely be tuning in, seeing where all this new content's coming from. Uh, we hope that you, your family, all continue to stay safe. And we'll kind of root for the Saints for you, too, from, from, a, from a backside to, to maybe get another Super Bowl for your, for your time. I can appreciate that. Thank you so much. And the same for the Steelers and the Eagles as well. Um, and this was a lot of fun, guys. Can we do a follow-up when we launch? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I'm also going to put, um, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to hassle this guy, Dave Welch for all your listeners. If you have any problems with p- public relations from G4, that's Dave Welch's fault. Just so you guys know, uh, Dave was at the old G4 with me too. He's my one like returning hire. Like when I came in, I was like, yo, no questions asked and bring this dude with me. Um, I'm going to make sure the talent get on you guys. We're going to run the talent through, through your show. If you guys want to, ha- you want some of the G4 talent, like we're going to make that happen for you guys. If that's okay. Yeah. That, that's perfectly fun. Okay, cool. Yeah, this yeah, is awesome. sounds great. Now this we got a lot great. to look forward to. Right on. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Blair was fantastic. Again, if Blair said, I want to be a part of your show forever, I think we would both say yes in a heartbeat. Like just come in and talk about sports and everything entertainment with us forever. Agreed. And I think we would talk to anyone from G4. G4, just for people who don't know, G4 
before it got canceled, it, it, it sucks because when the network got canceled and it's great that they're bringing the relaunch back. I, I don't know if people know this. I know you do, but I'm through the moon about it. It's one of the things that I've been waiting for since last year when it was announced that it's coming back and the content they're doing on YouTube and Twitch every Friday is awesome. It's very outside the box. It's very old school G4. And for people who love Marvel movies and stuff like that these days and, and really into the kind of culture and, and love Game of Thrones, that stuff is mainstream. But to be honest with you, some of that stuff, like a show on Netflix that I think actually you would, I think you would enjoy it actually. It's community on Netflix. It's a sitcom. But shows like that got popular along with Ninja Warrior, which I'm glad it's coming back. People people have no idea if they've watched the NBC version in the last 11, 12 years that that all started from G4. People following community started from G4. So there's a lot of niche things that carried on over into different lanes. And like he was talking about, some of the guest hosts they had were just absolutely became great actors. Come on, uh, Ninja, uh, Ninjani. I think I pronounced that wrong, but... <laughs> I mean, he's going to be in Marvel's uh, Eternals later this year. And so, I mean, there's just a lot of things that G4 had their foot in. And, and I'm, it, it, it's amazing. It's coming back. I think that, I think that just the world that we live in now, I'm, I wasn't a huge G4 watcher whenever I was younger, but I think that the world we live in now almost lends itself more to entertainment and and maybe that's even elevated by the pandemic a little bit but like i mentioned we have more time we have more ability to do it but this is going to be interesting based on all the stuff that we have now at, at our disposal all the new stuff since g4 has kind of went away and is now coming back to see how it's all integrated and how these creators will do it and blair certainly has me excited for it again as somebody who is not a a huge G4 watcher, just listening to him talk about it. I'm like, all right, I, I think I can get behind this and, and check it out for the relaunch because there sounds like some stuff that's, that's going to be big coming. So it's the segment that can either gross you out or make you really laugh. It's our favorite segment. I think along with buy or sell it's do we understand? Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Do I have some good ones today? I hope you came prepared. I told you off air, I'll say it here too. I think the two that I found today might be two of my favorite ones that we've ever done. Now we'll see how the we'll see how it all goes, but there are some there are some great ones on Twitter. I have two, but there there's three that I'm actually interested in. So I'm gonna let you pick story A or story B. And I already know one that I'm sticking with. So story A or story B? Let's go with B. Story B. Okay. Do we understand groom goes to wrong wedding venue, nearly marries a stranger in Indonesia, and he doesn't realize until they're about to say, I do, that he's about to marry the wrong person? The person was not related to his uh, wife that he was originally supposed to marry. He did not marry this lady, and he was completely sober from what the article says. But do we understand, how do you even not realize that in the moment? 
Now, I know ceremonies for, for like marriages are different in, in different countries. So I'm not like trying to sound ignorant with this. But like, I feel like most weddings have some form of like rehearsal to know where you need to go. How do you show up at the wrong place? Like what? And also, how do you not realize until you say I do? Again, I realize different, you know, cultures and, and customs have different ways of, of doing it. And, and I'm not familiar with all of them, but I feel like at some point you would be looking around the room going, I don't know any of these people. I wonder if there's a moment where he thought, mm, do I really want to marry the girl that I was originally supposed to marry? And if not, should I just marry this girl? Because she seems to be cool with it and I'm cool with it. So let's do it. Oh, no, no, no. Let's, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to marry you. I, I was in the wrong place. I don't, I don't understand because there has to be separate venues unless, unless it was in like a major hotel and there was like different conference rooms. But even then you, you have to know the person you're marrying. Where's the other guy? Oh, that's yeah. Yeah. So the other guy, the article, they have no idea. According to the article, they have no idea where the other guy was. Just no one. That's, knew. that's question is where'd the other guy go because this guy's clearly there stepping in for somebody and in, in, in this part but then everyone's like oh he went to the wrong venue lol this guy what about the guy that's just gone should we be looking for this guy is he missing like what, what it's i mean i realize that you know, maybe this isn't an uncommon practice to you know, get cold feet quotes at the wedding but we we should probably be looking for this guy because there's, there's, this is a, this is another one of those seven layer cakes. I have a lot of questions. He's on the plane right now, hiding with our favorite lady from a couple of weeks ago. Oh uh, yes. Yeah. He is, yeah. He is in, um, he's in luggage and yeah. she's just telling him about all of his tech. He contacted, he listens to this show, contacted her and he's like, what's the quickest way that I can get into luggage and out of right. this thing? Right. And then um, somehow this other guy just makes it and shows up at the other way. We're putting it all together. We we've got this all. We got our like um like our board from is that from Always Sunny where they have like the board up and the guys. Yeah, like, I think so. It's been a long time since I've watched Always Sunny. I, for, it's not for me, basically. Always Sunny. It, it's hit or miss sometimes. I, he has to know who he's marrying. I mean, unless it's like a ninety day fiance type thing those shows that you see on TLC where they get married after knowing each other for 90 days. It's like, what are you doing? There's this one show. And I definitely do not understand this. This is not my next story, but it's called married at first sight. And it's on, uh, I forget what network, but the people don't know each other. They take questionnaires and then they get married the first time seeing each other. Boom. Live together for six weeks. If not, the TV show films them. And then you can either get a divorce or an annulment, if not stay married. And like 7% of those things actually pan out, but that has to be just awful meeting someone for the first time and you're marrying them. I love the, the idea of 90 day fiance, because that's what happened like from 1910 to 1950, <laughs> <laughs> because that's just like a, that's a great throwback to a, a foregone era of, of the world. 
is you hear these stories. They're like, hey, we knew each other for three weeks and then we got married. I'm like, well, we have shows about that now in America. So we're just bringing back old customs. It's really nothing new. Uh, we just have a lot more money behind it this time. We didn't have to struggle on the corn farm this time. I, you know, whatever. I, I'm not into those shows personally, but I mean, to each their own. But hey, just another thing I don't understand. Yeah, do not um, do not understand that. So my next story. I love the weird food stories because it's just like a question of how. Do we understand a venomous snake was found inside a bag of lettuce at an Aldi? I do not understand that because those things are supposed to be sealed, like legitimate sealed packages. Like one of the, like, it, it, it almost feels like uh, the lettuce in the grocery stores are sealed packages in a similar way, a hard plastic package that you buy like a tech uh something techy you know what i'm talking about the very hard plastic that you basically have to stab with a knife or scissors to get open that i don't understand either stop making packages like that that it's so irritating to have like seven different knives to get those kind of things open but how does it get in there does it just basically force its way through the the plastic makes me question the quality control at aldi that's the first thing <laughs> i'm thinking about here Second of all, I, I realized, so like in my mind, when you said there was a snake in a bag of lettuce at Aldi, my, my mind immediately goes to the snake weighs like, like 10 to 15 pounds. Like it's like a decent sized snake, but I mean, there are very small snakes. So like my mind is not firing on all cylinders right now, but my mind would tell me that like, if I picked up a bag of lettuce and it's like one pound bag of lettuce and it's like lifting a dumbbell, you're like, oh, I think there's some wrong with this but also again I, I realized that the snake could not make that much difference in the way you know give me a minute to think it through like a normal human and we'll be good but yeah quality control not at an all-time high at Aldi right now um sounds like it would be something I assume that the snake was alive right whatever it, it was discovered it had to be it had greens in there it had it had greens to eat <laughs> There's no lettuce. It's just a snake. You're like, this doesn't look right. <laughs> was it discovered? Does it say was it discovered at the store? Or was it discovered after? Uh, it was discovered after. Yeah, so that would be terrifying. Oh, so terrifying. The fact that it's venomous. And if I'm driving home and I hear something moving around, I'm like, oh, okay. All right, whatever. And then I go to put the lettuce in my fridge. Oh, so that's, that's not that's not what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you, you take it back and you're like, sir, uh, I found uh, a venomous snake in my lettuce. Uh, I would like my refund, please. <laughs> you imagine being the grocer at Aldi that has to hear that though, because it's clearly not their fault. Yeah. But like the person that's just sitting at Aldi and you're like, yeah, um, I found a snake in my lettuce. Excuse me, I'm just getting paid $12 an hour to put boxes on a shelf. Blair Herter right behind me. Oh. Old uh, attack of the show here. We need we need Blair to come back and do I think Blair would be a great duly understand guest because I think he would I think he would bring some we'll have to do that. That sounds like something fun to do. We'll have him back on another Thursday and we'll do a do we understand. 
yeah, all I'll say is to finish this out on my two. The snake, it wasn't a garden snake. It's like something that, you know, Steve Irwin, God rest his soul, would have had to like trap down. I mean, it was a venomous snake. Yeah. But I have more questions than answers with this one as well. Yeah. People marrying the wrong people in, in Indonesia and people getting snakes in their lettuce. I'm. <laughs> This is um, this is definitely a weird day. Now, I also saw the one, and, and it's a prominent news story, so I didn't include it with mine, about the Canadian lawmaker showing up on a Zoom oh. call naked. Yeah. I'm, no. I'm sure many saw that. I did, but I didn't want to include it because when it's like more, when you have to do only one click to find the story and it's on seven different areas, that's not uh, weird enough for this segment. Yeah, well, this just goes back to the how dumb do you have to be? We've been using Zoom for a year. We've pretty much all got it figured out by now, at least the, you know, generic stuff. Turn your camera off if you're going to strip, buddy. Like, yeah. just general thing. Close the computer. Then you don't have to worry about it. Mm. But I digress. Yeah. So I want to first apologize with mine because it's going to be a, a little bit of reading with both of these. But I promise you it will be well worth it. Now, both of these are things that I found on Twitter um, you know, you see like likes of something and it shows up in your timeline because somebody liked it and whatnot. But I assure you again that both of these are worth it. So allow me to read this to you. This is the first one. This one's a little bit shorter. There's a man going around Eastern Kentucky scamming people, knocking on doors, telling them that he has Steve Harvey in his car. He asks them for $50 to meet Steve Harvey and tells them that he'll come into their house for the next 30 minutes. He then takes the $50 and drives off. What's sad is he scammed nine people out of $50 already. What? What? <laughs> scammed nine people out of $50. I because he says he has Steve Harvey kidnapped. Okay, so my question is, is I realize that there are like places that have parking lots and such, but I'm just thinking like an average neighborhood. You can see where the car is, right? How bad are people's eyesight in Kentucky that they can't look down at the car and be like, huh, I don't see Steve Harvey in there. Well, he's not in the trunk, Junior. Don't you figure it would have hit them at some point by watching the news or just getting an update on their phone, Steve Harvey, American comedian, host of Family Feud, impressions done all the time about him on SNL, has been kidnapped and is located somewhere in Kentucky. Don't you think that would have hit them? Wouldn't shock me if not. That's unbelievable. I mean, and if he's still doing that, Shame on him. But I mean, the fact that, oh, I mean, what made him say, you know, there's a great Seinfeld bit on an episode where the dealer, the car dealer looks at Costanza and he's selling him a used car and he says, you know, this car used to belong to John Voight. And Seinfeld says to him halfway through the episode, what made him say John Voight? Why not uh, Tom Hanks or George Clooney? That's that's what I think about this. What made him say Steve Harvey is the one he has kidnapped and not someone like 
you know, Liam Neeson, right? Liam Neeson, no one's believing that. But what made him say Steve Harvey that it's so gullible? So I don't know where, but like I know Steve Harvey is from West Virginia. And I think he's from like the southern part of West Virginia, which would feasibly be close to Kentucky. So like, like maybe you would think that he's there. I, again, I'm I'm not aware of all the detail. I'm I'm literally just reading the thing. What a great way to make four hundred and fifty dollars! <laughs> walking up to vulnerable vulnerable people's houses and being like, "Yo, Steve Harvey's in the car." What's the response? Who? Do, what's your target market with this? Do you just go to anybody and like see if they like Steve Harvey? Or are you like going to are you like plugged into cable boxes, seeing who's watching Family Feud, being like, ah, this street, they watch Family Feud every night at seven, going to hit them up. How does someone think of this? It makes no sense. I certainly don't understand scamming Steve Harvey for $450. No, no. I think the ultimate PR move is for Steve Harvey to go meet these nine people. Yeah. No, yeah, bring him out for like a show to like Family Feud when he's doing like a hundred recordings, you know, a day. Right. Oh, that'd be fun. Scam a tenth person and then just do a randomizer and have five of them on one team. Uh, that them one bad for, team. I'm sure. <laughs> I got a lot of great ideas. Problem is, most of them suck. Great George Carlin quote for everybody. Okay. Here's my last one. Now, I apologize that this one is going to be a little bit more reading, but this is this is just this is just incredible. So I I love sports history. Sports history is one of my favorite things. Uh, one focus of sports history that I'm not particularly great at, though, is the Olympics. So I'm not fully ingrained in Olympic history. I know some of the bigger events, as most of us do. Um, you know, Jesse Owens in 1936, um, among many many others, but um, are you familiar with the events of the 1904 Olympics men's marathon? I am not. I'm a huge Olympic guy, as you can tell. I like I read all the articles, read athletes. I follow. I'm one of those people that after the Olympics ends, winter or summer, winter or summer, winter or summer, I follow. Like, oh, all right, this person has an Instagram. I follow them, and then I never, you know no one following so we've we've in our lifetimes have seen a lot of great olympic events i i wish that we could go back and see the 2000 or the 1904 olympic men's marathon because i'm gonna skim these a little bit because it is it is longer but so the first person to arrive at the finish line at the 1904 men's olympics was fred lors Again, I don't know any of these people. Fred Lures actually dropped out of the race after nine miles and hitched a ride back to the stadium. So he was waving to spectators during his ride. The car broke down at the 19th mile. He finished the race, got to the finish line. They thought he won. And he's taking pictures with Alice Roosevelt, who's Theodore Roosevelt's daughter. It's later figured out that he did not win the race, that he did cheat his way. <laughs> the win 
So this man is is doing the ultimate, another ultimate scam of, you know, taking the ride. You remember the office episode where they do the Meredith fun run and like Oscar and Creed, and, you know, they get to the end, they look, he's, he's doing that, but the 1904 version, right? Um, then he went on to win the 1905 Boston Marathon, questioning if it was the same way. Anyway, the man who won the event, his name was Thomas Hicks. Thomas Hicks, 10 miles from the finish, had to be restrained from stopping and lying down by his trainers. So like people were following him and he's just like, I want to stop. And they had to hold this man up. So then they injected him with doses of, I'm not even going to try to say this word, but basically it's a common rat poison that stimulates the nervous system in small doses mixed with brandy. So this guy wants to lay down, but what they do inside instead is inject him with rat poison and brandy and he goes crazy for this last leg, but he's so burned at the end that his support team has to carry him across the line. So he doesn't actually finish. He's being carried and he's just fake moving his legs in the air. This is the man that won the event, <laughs> was crowned the gold medalist of the men's marathon. It's not over. William Garcia of the United States was found lying in the road along the marathon course with several internal injuries. This one I have to read because this, this alone is its own fun story. He was found lying on the road during the marathon with severe internal injuries caused by breathing the clouds of dust kicked up by the officials' cars. One of the postmen joined the, or postmen joined the marathon arriving last minute. After losing all his money in New Orleans, hitched a ride to St. Louis to run the event in street clothes that he had cut around the legs to make them look like shorts. So this man, not really even in the Olympics, he just wants to run a marathon. And he had not eaten in 40 hours. So he stopped off during the marathon to eat apples from an orchard. <laughs> the apples were rotten. And that's where he gets stomach pains um, and he had to take a nap during the race. It's not over. One more. This was also the first marathon to include black African males. They came in ninth and 12th in the race. And it was sad because during the race, both of them were chased by dogs. At some point during the race. So what part of that do you want to unpack? <laughs> Where would you like to begin with the 1904 men's marathon? So <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> Track must have been a wild scene back in the day. I mean, th maybe this isn't even track. It's just a marathon. You know what? I don't know if they actually had a track. Based on everything that I read in those four slides, I'm not sure a track even existed. I think they were just kind of told to run and show up at a finish line. I'm not overly confident that the Olympic officials of 1904 had any sort of plan to do anything. There's no way. I would love to be inside the mind of like if they had their uh, if they had children. And, you know, it's one of those things that like you tell, I'm sure you tell, hey, I want a gold medal or I want a marathon at, you know, this crazy race. 
how much of a fib and lying do you do for the rest of time through that story? Um, I won a marathon. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then you find out, you know, generations later, Oh, he only won the marathon because he did the, the Creed Bratton move from the office and taking a, by the way, that's unbelievable karma and irony, right? The fact that it broke down. Mm -hmm. I mean, you would be very skeptical if a guy finished a 26 mile race in like 25 minutes. I mean, cars back then weren't going that fast, but point is, is you're like, there's no way this guy got here this quick, right? You would think that he is Superman. Oh, 100%. I have a lot of respect, though, for the guy that just wanted to do it in his regular shorts <laughs> and ate an apple along the way. That's a fantastic story because... Now I'm thinking back to like, now we, uh, we have to put our minds in like 1904, right? They didn't have American Eagle stretch jeans in 1904. So you couldn't just cut them off and be like, oh yeah, they're like kind of athletic jorts. Like this dude's like wearing wool shorts that he cut off and was like, yeah, I just want to do the marathon. What, what's the ultimate hold my beer moment in history? It's that I'm going to do a rager, cut my shorts off and participate in the 1904 men's marathon. This guy has my ultimate respect. Yeah, that guy needs a 30 for 30 done about him or like a a, 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 do, a fake documentary. I don't know if you like know what I'm talking about, like a, a mockumentary. Mm -hmm. Needs something like that because that, that dude is a legend. I mean, it's not like he's going around a sporting goods store and buying Under Armour. I mean, but uh, the fact that he ate the apple uh, and the apple was rotten, is is just a wild move in itself hadn't eaten in 40 hours and thought he could run a marathon <laughs> now don't don't forget that the winner was injected with rat poison and brandy yeah yeah and he was carried this sounds like this sounds like a movie that seth rogan should do we just we just need to like figure out and piece together how this all like happened. I mean, we, we have the events. We need to figure out or at least get it in a, a normal sense of timeline of events and be like, you don't understand how good of a movie this would make. This sounds like it just fits in the Hangover trilogy. What does the coach say to the runner? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> like... There's no way he gives them like a moral support, like, ah, good job, good job, you know, and claps. He, he like probably walks up to him and goes, how did that happen? <laughs> the guy that has a bronze medal that didn't get a story, I'm embarrassed. I would be embarrassed to be him. Mm. Like you didn't get injected with rat poison. You didn't cut your shorts off, eat an apple along the way, die because of the car fumes, uh, ride in a car, get chased by dogs. Pfft, loser. <laughs> Uh, wow. Um, what a, what a, do we understand? Uh, we can grab bag. There's not really much, you know, you got your hockey, you got your basketball, you got your, uh, baseball. Uh, there was a no hitter for the white Sox the other night. That was cool. Um, still get excited about no hitters. The Knicks play this weekend. So still the best team in New York. Um, no, I've, I've, I'm going to stay on that hill until the playoffs 
crush me morally and you know emotionally and it's going to be crushing but no um, not really a whole lot going on this weekend um but we're a couple weekends away from the draft we're a couple weekends away from the derby so it's it's weird how the sports calendar works in the spring right because you got action 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 stop action 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 summer dog days it's just weird how it works around the springtime so I'm sure you saw the the no hitter from the other night. You mentioned the the White Sox, um, the first one of the season though. Joe Musgrove, the pitcher for the Padres, uh, used to play for the Pirates, and he was a pitcher for the Pirates for a number of years. Um, so his second most recent start was his no hitter. His most recent start, he lost to the Pirates. So. I think there's a very big scale to balance between throwing a no hitter and then losing to the pirates. Like it's a very, that's why you can, that's why I always say baseball is a very challenging game to predict because one game you have all your best stuff. You have the game of your career. The next game you're losing to a team that's projected to win 60 games. Sorry, Joe. That's the way it goes. I love Joe Musgrove. Don't get me wrong. He's I I love him. He seems like a genuine nice guy. It's not a slight towards him, but I think we'll have a little bit more insight in the in the basketball and hockey realm here in a couple of weeks. We're we're coming down the playoff stretch. It's not really to those like last two weeks yet. We still have about eh, three three to four weeks left of these. So I think there will be more to talk about when we get into playoff time for those sports as well. In baseball, they have like um, I think they have what is it like 736 games left? So there's, there's plenty of time to talk about baseball until the end of the season. Yeah. The next uh, last game, uh, I believe is the 14th of May, 14th or 15th. So, but if they're going to continue to stay updated with us, Ryan and follow us, how are they going to do that? Well, if you're listening to the show and checking out the show, do it on Apple or Spotify. We're hosted on both platforms. So pick your favorite, pick your favorite operating system, Apple, Spotify, two Ryan sports show, find us on there. Subscribe, rate, leave us a review if you're enjoying the show. And but share the YouTube version as well. Yes, YouTube. We're doing our interviews on YouTube as well. Thank you. I would have left that out inadvertently. So YouTube will host the interviews as well. So make sure you check out the video versions of there. If you want to see our bright smiling faces, which can't understand why they would want to see mine. Um, sec, you know, uh, whatever. Anyway. If you want to see the actual video versions of the interview, those are on YouTube. The shows are hosted on Apple and Spotify as well. So you can check us out on all of those platforms. But if you're going to check out our social content, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. To Ryan Sports Show on all of those platforms. Again, all of our social networks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, To Ryan Sports Show. Find us on Apple and Spotify. Find us on YouTube as well. Make sure you're subscribed and liked on all those platforms. And um, yeah, check us out. We got some fun stuff coming. And we will see everyone next week. Have a great weekend, folks. Go Pirates.